Um, today, I'd like, uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going we're gonna to turn to um, John chapter 8. Now, I appreciated so much Jason's message last week, I am the bread of life. And these I am statements are uh, great metaphors, and ultimately, they take us back to uh, Moses at the burning bush, when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt out of their slavery and bondage, um, Moses is having this incredible experience with God, and uh, um, he wanted to see God. God said, um, you can't. My, if you'd see me, uh, you would die. And that says something incredible about the glory and holiness of God. And, and God says, I'll let you look at my back. And uh, then Moses says, well, if I go to the children of Israel and tell them who sent me, what do I tell him your name is? And God says, tell him, I am sent you. And that means I am the one that exists. I am the one that exists. I always have been. I am now and I always will be. I'm God. And, and so for Jesus uh, to make these claims is incredible. Ego e me in the Greek. I am. Okay, and he said at one point before Abraham was, I am. Incredible statements. And, uh, and, and, and powerful statements. And, and so uh, it's really, really uh, an awesome thing. I mean, some folks like to say in their ignorance that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, you don't know anything about the Bible if someone says that. Because he clearly did, uh, especially in this gospel and the other gospels as well. But the thing that's cool, in John's gospel, John highlights these specific I am statements. Um, and so last week, Pastor Jason spoke on, on the bread of life, and today I am, I am the light of the world. So um, I want to read from John 8, starting at, at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness, your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I, I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, this is God's word, and I made every phrase in the church because of that. So um, about three months ago, um, it was the middle of the night, and I heard a noise in the kitchen that woke me up, and it was um, the battery to the smoke detector chirping. And it was very irritating to me. And I knew that I'd not be able to go to sleep 
unless I either pulled the battery out or I replaced it. So like a dutiful uh, husband would do, uh, I got up out of bed to go and replace the battery right then and there. Well, I was, um, I was bleary-eyed. I walked out of the bedroom down the hallway into our living room, and I thought I, it was dark, and I thought I made the appropriate left turn to the kitchen area, but I hadn't. And before I knew what happened, I cracked my toe on the sofa. I knew a couple of things right then. I, first of all, I knew I was fully awake at that point. I tried to be quiet, but I think I let out a grunt and a shriek that woke up the neighbors. Uh, I managed to hop on the, count, on the couch without further injury, but the damage had been done. My toe was black and blue. I think it's maybe starting to get normal color at this point. Um, I think I should have gotten a purple heart <laughs> for doing battle with uh, vicious smoke detectors in the middle of the night. All I got was a chuckle coming from the bedroom. Um, I was reminded of that profound truth that <clears throat> when I walk in darkness, accidents are likely to happen. And everyone understands when you walk in darkness, you're taking your life into your own, your own hands. You know, life depends on light. Our planet can't exist without it. Uh, everything we have on this earth that sustains our lives depends on light. I want to list a few things that light does, practically speaking. First of all, light reveals things. It enables us to see, see things that were there all along, but because of darkness, we couldn't see them, either spiritually or literally. Darkness conceals things. Light reveals things. Uh, it was C.S. Lewis who said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun not only because I see it, but because by it all things are seen. Ephesians 5.13, Paul said, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. The second thing we know is that light gives life. Light is necessary for life itself. It sets our biological clocks. It triggers our brains, the sensations of color, it supplies energy for our food to grow. Uh, have you ever heard of seasonal affective disorder? I have that. Hasn't been too bad this winter because I think we've had more sunshine than usual. And so um, one of the things that I, my doctor prescribed for me is this light box. It works pretty good. And uh, during... Uh, a month of gray clouds, 30 minutes a day. I mean, it really works. I mean, I still spit and throw rocks like guys do, and I run, and I still think I could beat you one-on-one -on -one in basketball. I'm, willing, I'm up for a game anytime if you'll pay the hospital bills. Um, but nonetheless, <clears throat> it affects me in the wintertime if we get socked in with a long uh, time of, of, of clouds. And so light, light is necessary. Interestingly, only about 1% of Floridians struggle with this. About 10% of Alaskans do. And folks in West Michigan do as, as well. In John 1, verse 4, we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. So while some struggle with seasonal affective disorder, 
all of humanity struggles with sin affective disorder light scatters the darkness in scripture darkness is often a metaphor for sin for spiritual blindness and death uh, the light shines in the darkness john 1 5 says and the darkness has not overcome it it speaks of evil and darkness light gives warmth um, did you know you can light a small candle and properly reflect it i told it can warm an igloo i don't know how the igloo doesn't melt you sit in your car on a sunny day you know how warm it can become in your automobile Ecclesiastes 1.17 says, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And of course, light gives guidance. It's difficult to walk in the dark, as I said. But light can help us see where we're headed. And we need that spiritually as well. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my, my, my path. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we need to break this down a little bit this morning now in order to fully grasp it i've got to say a couple things about something the hebrews called the feast of tabernacles god inaugurated this annual feast for the israelites to remember that they had been delivered from slavery in egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and there were two distinctives about this great celebration the whole nation had this spiritual emphasis for a week. I mean, can you imagine? Just, just think if we took our church community once a year for a whole week just for spiritual renewal. Imagine that. What an impact it would have on us. It'd be powerful, wouldn't it? It'd be profound. And, and so once a year, the, the, uh, the Hebrews, would, the Israelites would have this Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, for seven days, the entire nation camped out in booths or tents made from branches and foliage to remind them of the hardships that their ancestors faced in the wilderness. And on the opening night, there would be four gigantic uh, candelabras standing 75 feet high, and, and they were lit, and they would illuminate the entire temple, much of Jerusalem, and... Um, it's not to be confused with the ever-standing menorah in the tabernacle, according to Exodus 25. But each candelabra uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles had four branches that su supplied by golden bowls filled with 10 gallons of oil. And so the flames were leaping toward the sky. Throughout the week, the light burned brightly as the whole community was involved in worship and praise to God because God was with them. John said in the beginning, John 1, the word of God dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. God was with us. And so the celebration focused also on God's promise to send the light, the anointed one, the Messiah who would deliver them from darkness. Sacrifices were offered. And scriptures like Isaiah 9, 2 were read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And so then on the final day of the feast, finally all of this light would be extinguished. I can imagine it was quite a bummer with all the excitement. It was then that Jesus stood up and garnered everyone's attention. 
And Jesus shouted, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The last day of the feast. What an amazing thing. His timing is that as the celebration wraps up, all the lights are extinguished. He proclaims himself as the light of life. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now the natural state of our humanity is to live in spiritual darkness. Selfishness. Lust of the flesh. Materialism. Greed. Self-destruction and injustice and rebellion against God. And my friends, this is a darkness we cannot find our way out of. We have no light within us to lead us to the truth. Our brokenness is too bewildering to find the light. And even as we know Jesus, we know at this time there's still darkness within each of us. That we have issues to struggle with, sin that we're struggling to be free of. But everything about Jesus tells us he has come to bring life and light and healing. John 1.4 describes him, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus brought life. This means he brought animation. He brought animation to our darkened hearts. We needed a spiritual defibrillator, so to speak, to give sight to our eyes, offering hope and restoration to a world without a pulse. That means in the mess of my life right now, Jesus wants to bring life and healing and forgiveness. Most important, this life Jesus brings is rooted in his sacrificial act of offering himself on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John the Baptist declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to display all the goodness of God through his loving and caring acts, teaching the truth, and he came to bear the punishment for our sin. In all these ways, Jesus is the light of the world as he shows himself as the way and the truth and the life. There was, um, I, um, I have a subscription to Christianity Today, and, and there was um, a really uh, good article on the back page. It wasn't an article, it was a testimony. And uh, it was by a guy named, a scientist named Cy Garte. And he's, and, um, he was converted, and he writes, and I just want to read you part of his testimony. He said, I, I had an unusual childhood for an American. Members of my family and my parents were, I was raised by left-wing radicals, and my mother and father were members of the American Communist Party. I'm not going to talk about politics today. This is his testimony, Okay. All right. My indoctrination in the dogmas of communism and atheism was deep and long-lasting. 
And he talks about that his father, then he goes on to talk about how his father gave him a love for science and he went on to college and to graduate school uh, to become a scientist. And uh, he believed in, that, that uh, Christianity was like an opiate of the people, that it was just given to control people and uh, to keep them in their place. He did not, he was really anti God and, and he believed all that Christians wanted to do was was uh, manipulate you maybe for your money or to control you and all that kind of stuff but he got to graduate school and uh and then he got into his work and and he began to um encounter christians and, and he found that his stereotypes didn't match what he was experiencing and then and then too he found that um there were mysteries. To a surprise, there were mysteries that science couldn't explain. And uh, this is where I want to just read to you his, his words. He said, I also began to contemplate other questions. Where did the universe come from? How did life begin? What does it mean to be a human being? What is the source of our creativity, of art, poetry, music and humor perhaps i thought science cannot tell us everything now i was beginning to seriously wonder about the whole religion thing i i met christians who were smart and scientifically minded and for the first time i attended a church service i was surprised at what i found nobody glared at me with suspicion and i heard no thundering condemnation of sinners the pastor spoke about the power of love the people next to me shook my hand and wished me peace it was all quite beautiful. I decided to return. Then I read the Gospels, and I had another shock. I found them beautiful and inspiring. So far as I could tell, they carried the ring of truth. And the book of Acts struck me as actual history. Not at all like a fictional account concocted to enslave the masses. The kind of reading my Marxist upbringing would have conditioned me to affirm. Then he says, the door to my prison cell was swinging open, and the light of God's love was penetrating the darkness of my heart. Yet I was afraid to fully leave. Suppose I was being fooled, misled into a trap. I remained stuck in the place of indecision for several years, and then the Holy Spirit pulled me over the threshold. It happened one day while I was traveling alone on the Pennsylvania Turnpike in the middle part of the state with a long way to go. Turning the radio on, I heard the unmistakable voice of an evangelical Christian preacher, the kind I used to mock and avoid. But this preacher was really good. I have no idea what he was saying, but his voice and inflection were mesmerizing, and I listened for a few minutes before turning the radio off. Driving in silence for a while, I began wondering, how would I sound if I ever tried preaching? After all, I always liked to talk. I laughed a bit, thinking about what I could possibly say. The first thing that came to my mind was something about science. How if there were a God, he might have used science to create the world? And then something happened. I felt a chill up and down my spine, and I could hear myself speaking in my mind, preaching in fact. I could see an audience in front of me, people in an outdoor stadium, 
dressed in summer clothing. I pulled the car over to the right lane and slowed down. It was not a vision exactly, but man, was it intense. I knew I wasn't making the words up. I was just listening as much as the audience was. I talked about knowing that Jesus loves me. With a voice full of passionate emotion, I assured the crowd that whatever their sins might be, they were no worse than my own, and that because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we could all be saved. I explained that God's love is more powerful than any other kind, and that anyone can have it without deserving it. At some point during this experience, I had pulled over onto the shoulder of the road where I sat behind the wheel crying for some time. I, could, I had never considered the thing, things I had been saying. Some of the concepts were unfamiliar. The only explanation I could fathom was that the Holy Spirit had entered into my life in dramatic fashion. Thank you, Lord. I said out loud between sobs, I believe, I am saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. The light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not overcome it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes and displays all the goodness of God, and uh, we thank him for it. I have one more thought I want to share before I stop today, and that is, let's consider what the effects of the light are on us. As I said earlier, the truth is that there's darkness in all of us. Some of the darkness we know about, we haven't been able to give completely to God, to the light. Some of the darkness is still hidden from our own eyes, from our own sight. Everybody has their whole life struggle with letting the light of God to shine throughout their whole existence. The natural state of our humanity is to live and walk in spiritual darkness. If I understand our passage correctly, you know, mere participation and knowledge of religious activities and spiritual activities is no guarantee of escaping the spiritual darkness Jesus is talking about. Just trying to be good isn't enough just being nice, gracious, is not enough to escape the spiritual darkness and its profound effects on our lives. Darkness is lostness. Darkness is brokenness. Darkness is sinfulness. Darkness is about me. Darkness is about my gratification. It's the worship of self, of my body, of my accomplishments, of my pleasure. Walking in the light means living in the light. It means a level of transparency, of truthfulness about who we are and who we are in Christ. Darkness keeps me from seeing the damage I'm doing to other people and to myself and to relationships around us. You see, in the darkness, 
It's easy to cover our problems and pretend they don't exist. Darkness keeps us from seeing the truth about Jesus and ourselves. And so our awesome hope today is this, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus calls us not to walk in darkness. If we walk in the light, Jesus sees everything. And friends, that takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith because we're afraid that if Jesus sees everything, will we really be lovable? It takes faith that he has power and love to wipe away the darkness of my soul. Dare we approach Jesus with the truth of who we are? You know, it's interesting. As you read the Gospel of John, I encourage you to notice the stories before and after each I am statement. And in John 8, just before Jesus proclaimed he was the light in the world, the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery and demanded of him an opinion of her punishment in light of the law of Moses. Jesus stooped on the ground, and he was just writing in the sand. We don't really know what he's writing. And then he said, if any one of you is without sin, cast the first stone. The text says at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now. Leave your life of sin. Think of the power of this encounter. The light of Jesus shines on this woman and she finds healing and grace and restoration. She finds surrender to God. She finds a new way of living. But the light of Jesus also does something else here. The light of Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees doesn't it? Hello, you still awake? It exposes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. You see, the truth was that the scribes and the Pharisees did not want the light. They didn't love the light. They didn't like the light. And that's why they wanted to kill the light. You know, if you turn over a log in the woods, uh, bugs will scurry everywhere. And it's not because they're afraid of you. It's because they're repulsed by the light. And it's the same way with the light of truth. can be repulsive. The Pharisees ran. However, this woman gives her darkness to Jesus. Jesus loves to handle your darkness. He loves to handle my darkness. And to give us grace. You see, if we don't walk in the light, we can live in denial about our problems and our sin and 
we can fool ourselves that we're just fine Christian people. Just the way we are, and we don't have to work on a thing. You know, most of you know I'm a recovering alcoholic, and by God's grace, if I make it to April 15, I'll have 20 years of sobriety. And that's all God's grace. I remember, though, when I was first introduced to 12-step meetings, uh, it took me a while to grasp and to be real excited about recovery. I remember going to a meeting and I uh, was complaining about a DUI I had received. said, you know, it was raining. My taillight was burned out. My wipers weren't working well. The cop had an attitude. And if I wouldn't have gone out for that pepperoni pizza, I wouldn't have got the DUI. Uh, there was an older gentleman there. Tom, what are you doing here? Well, I said, what do you mean, what am I doing here? He said, well, you don't have a drinking problem, you have a pizza problem. Hmm. Ouch. You see, the light of Jesus breaks through our denial. If we let him not run away and not scurry away. The light of Jesus calls us to a deeper walk. The light of Jesus reveals truth. And we never see ourselves truly until we see ourselves in the context of Jesus. So, I mean, this effect of walking in the light is letting God change us. I love the movie uh, gladiator i thought it was exceptional been a few years i don't know how many of you younger folks have seen it but uh, maximus is the hero of the movie right the gladiator and um he was betrayed and he becomes a slave and he was purchased by a former gladiator who had won his freedom and is now a slave trader of gladiators and his name is proximo and um, Proximo has now become a heavy drinker, a slave trader, and he's living off his past glory. However, as the story develops, Proximo begins to play a part in helping Maximus challenge the evil Roman emperor. And now, in a strange turn of events, Proximus Proxima is even risking his life on behalf of Maximus. And there's a great line in the movie. Maximus smiles and says to him, Proximo, are you in danger of becoming a good man? Are you in danger of becoming a good man? You see, the truth is, if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we are in danger of becoming good people. People of character and godliness people of character and godliness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I think he's also telling me to be quiet right now, so let's pray. All right. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, Jesus, the light of the world, for awakening us from the sleep of death and darkness, for 
shining a light and lovingly calling us to follow you with grace and freedom. We praise you for our Savior today and thank you for this hour that we could share together. And we give you glory in your name.